Hey, Beaver Nation, it's time to get inside the huddle with the Damn Podcast. The Damn Podcast is your weekly ticket to Oregon State football and recruiting news. Here's your host of the Damn Podcast, BeaverBlitz.com publisher, Angie Machado. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Damn Podcast. I am your host, Angie Machado. With me, as always, is BeaverBlitz.com beat writer Carter Baines, and we are coming off a crazy fun weekend. Uh, we're taping this on a Sunday. The Beavers have just beat Washington to uh, have sole possession of first place in the Pac-12 North. Carter, how are you? I'm good. It's uh, the, the Sunday morning after a big win is is always fun, and this is the fourth one in a row that we've had now, so it's this is a, a month straight of damn podcasts after a big win. And uh, this one, I think, feels even better than the others. To, to do it in front of a home crowd at Reeser, to extend that winning streak to four, uh, to take, as you said, sole possession of the, of the lead in the Pac-12 North. Uh, this is, I think, the best feeling we've had on a Sunday morning in a long time uh, as, as far as uh, beaver nation's concerned i think i think the fan base is riding really high right now yeah i mean last week usc's win was big it, you know it was a big win um for the program um big stage but like you said being at home and seeing the especially the student section shout out to the students because i have not seen the student section that big um i mean they wrapped all the way around toward the band in the, in the corner of the end zone so um big win there um before we get into talking about the actual game let's talk about the atmosphere a little bit and it was a decent sized recruiting weekend. You know, Oregon State welcomed back several of their commits from Washington State. So Jack Velling was in town, Luca Vincic. Trying to think who there, there was a crowd up there of previous commits, and they were there unofficially. Um, Melvin Jordan was probably the biggest there. Um, came out from St. Petersburg, Florida, for an unofficial. He's already been out for an official. Um, big win for those guys to see. And then a couple official visitors on hand. Carter, talk about the atmosphere. Uh, you've been to a lot of Beaver games. What was it like last night? That was, I, I think, probably the best atmosphere Research Stadium has had since uh, the win over Oregon in 2016. So five years later, uh, it, it wasn't a sellout by, <clears throat> by any stretch. Student section certainly was. Uh, that was that was the highlight, I think, of the atmosphere from the game was seeing the student section fill up about a half hour before the game. Uh, you know, the, the stretch that goes along the, the Oregon State bench was pretty much full. Um, I would say, yeah, like I said, about a half hour before the game. And then half of the, the end zone underneath the scoreboard is dedicated to students uh, in the uh, kind of an overflow situation there. That was completely full by midway through the game. Uh, and I actually heard that students were being forced to sit in the general like seating area uh, if they wanted to get student tickets. So they didn't stop giving out student tickets. They said, you know, you can still claim your, your free ticket. You just can't sit in the student section because we don't have any more room. So the goal for the Oregon State Athletic Department was to, to set the student attendance record at about 10,000. They just missed it. I believe the number was somewhere in the realm of 9,000. Uh, but if that's, I mean, that's almost a quarter of the stadium being filled by students alone. And, and they definitely brought the energy. It was, it was an electric atmosphere. And I said, uh, I said on the, the message board in, in the lodge at Beaver Blitz before the game, 
there's kind of a, a level of energy in inside Reeser that I hadn't felt in a long time, uh, especially you know coming off of a COVID year where there were no fans in the stands last year. It was it was really cool to see that that atmosphere uh, return to the electricity that we'd seen from it in kind of the glory days of the last two decades. Yeah, I mean that was and just just the energy, like you said. I think that's the the best part about the students is that they bring that energy. And I'm glad to see Oregon State not cap that, especially without sellouts from season tickets. Take advantage and let those let those students in and and uh, cheer on the team because it was loud and uh, it was electric and and it is going to help recruiting. You know, if Oregon State can keep winning, if they can, um, you know, especially when when recruits are on campus and they see that electricity and they feel that excitement, it makes it a lot easier. Um, you know, it, it's it's all this momentum, right? It it helps sell tickets it helps recruit and uh, winning just breeds more winning so it's a it's a self-fulfilling prophecy here but um here oregon state is four and one did you think we'd be here four and one right now carter maybe maybe i think looking at the the schedule preseason you said well there's a chance it could go three and oh to start non-conference uh, if, if they get that win at purdue and then maybe you know they split usc and washington uh, but after the Purdue game, to think four and one was a possibility. I I definitely didn't see that coming after week one. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people had that that Purdue game penciled in as maybe the decider on if Oregon State goes bowling or not. Well, they they lost that game, and now they're two wins away from going bowling and whirling a month a month into the season. So I didn't expect it to unfold in the way that it has, but I do think it was a realistic possibility. Uh, just given the way the schedule shook out, I, I, I think if they had gone into West Lafayette, I would, I would have been more confident uh, in a four-one start if they had if they'd come away with a win there. But um, nevertheless, here we are, four and one. So let's let's talk about the Husky game. Some um, I actually expected more. Like in our in our staff picks, I had a bigger margin of victory because I really thought we'd see the offense that we saw against USC. Offense sputtered some. Um, but I guess some of the credit also has to go to UW. What, you know, what were your thoughts on that Oregon State offense? Well, first of all, you, you mentioned the Beaver Blitz staff picks. I'm going to toot my own horn here for a little bit. Uh, my prediction was 28-24 Oregon State. Uh, final score, Oregon State 27, Washington 24. So nice work. Missed, missed it by one point. I will, I will take a bow. Um, I, I tweeted out my, my prediction and the final score and said, this is a Beaver Blitz ad. You're getting you're getting some expertise here at Beaver Blitz. So that, this is what watching every practice, all uh -huh. fall, all spring. This is what it does. Um, this is this is why Carter is the best at what he does. Um, good job. And I'll throw Thank an you. ad out Thank too you. because uh, with that win and with the sole possession of first place in the Pac-12 North for the first time ever, I got the higher ups at twenty four seven to give me one more day today of a sixty percent off promo, so you can get a full year of Beaver Blitz under $45. It's, it's crazy. You get to read all of Carter's um, amazing work, my work. You get to read, I, I don't know. So I actually got a text from my brother yesterday. So Peter Riley Osborne, he's an offensive, former offensive lineman, played at Willamette, but grew up a huge Beaver fan. We got a trench report after the USC game, which is great. And I, I think every, it's easy for all of us to kind of sit back and you can, you can judge what a, a wide receiver does or, you know, a, a DB or running back, but the offensive line is sometimes the hardest to, to watch. Peter grades every single player on every single snap. 
but he also put together some videos that he posted in the Logic Beaver Blitz that were amazing. My brother was like, best thing I've seen in Beaver Blitz in a long time were these video breakdowns of what the O-line did against USC. So um, lots of insight. And, and uh, like I said, my goal has always been to make Beaver fans smarter. And if you can be a, a wiser fan, all the better. So come join us. That's the shameless plug now. But um, what did you think of Brian Lindgren's game calling? I, I was frustrated at parts of that game because I felt like they abandoned the run some, especially with Washington dropping safeties back um, and their DBs playing so strong with the, with the receipt against the receivers. What were your thoughts Carter on, on Lindgren's play calling? I, I think you're right in, in that they shied away from the run a little bit. Uh, you know, that late third quarter, early fourth when Washington kind of made that push there, scored two touchdowns in the span of 17 seconds. That was when Oregon state was abandoning the run. And I said, you know, they got to start to go back to what was working for them. And that's something we talked to coach Lindgren about in the weeks or in the, in the days leading up to, to game day was, you know, they, Oregon state ran the ball. I think it was about 50 something times against Washington or sorry, against USC. Uh, looking at the stats, they actually did run the ball 50 times against Washington. Uh, but I think, I think they could have run it 60 times, you know, chance Nolan threw the ball 15 on, on 15 occasions, but the way he was playing, I think you could have, you probably could have just handed it off to BJ Baylor, to Sean Fenwick on every single play and just been perfectly fine. Um, so I, I, am not going to lie looking at the stats and that was the first time I had seen the, the total carries at, at 50. I said, that seems a little high because it did feel like they kind of went away from what was working. Um, but as, as I was saying, we talked to coach Lindgren and he said, yeah, you know, if, if we're moving the ball on the ground, we're not going to shy away from it. You know, we're going to, at the end of the day, we want to move the ball and we're going to continue to roll with what, what's with what's working for us. Um, and I thought there was a brief period where that wasn't the case against Washington, but give them credit. You know, they, they get down a score and then they go back to the running game and it, it ends up, it ends up paying off for them. Yeah. So it, it's funny. So we are, we're talking about this and we've talked about this for years, Carter, um, when coach Smith came in and it was, you know, the first year under coach Smith, it was beefs getting blown out. And then the next year it was losing, but closer. Then last year we saw some that came right down to the wire and then they were heartbreakers. And we kept saying that when Oregon state actually has their program in place, they're going to start winning some of those games, even when they're not playing their best game. And, and I would, you know, say last night was not Oregon state's best game, but they came away and fought, fought their way back. You know, what were your takeaways there? I think it is a testament to where this program is at and I mean, it, it certainly also helps that this team's got a ton of confidence right now. You know, you just go into the Coliseum, you snap that streak, you beat arguably the, the second most talented team in this conference this year in the fashion that you did. Uh, you're, you're riding a massive high of going into this game against Washington. And that, I think that that did play a factor in this game. You know, they know that it's a 60-minute fight. They get down by a touchdown early in the fourth quarter and they say, you know, why, why not come back and win? And, and that's exactly what they did. So I think the confidence that this team has right now is a, a major element uh, in, in their success, really. And I think it bodes well for where they're heading. How, how tough is it? You know, you're an athlete. You, you've grown up playing sports. How hard is it for this coaching staff and for the leaders of this team to keep these guys' heads kind of on that one week at a time and not start, you know, believing their own press and, and reading headlines and in my opinion, that's going to be the hardest thing going forward because I think this team can compete with anyone, but it's going to be keeping them focused. 
Yeah, it could be a challenge. And especially since Oregon State hasn't had this level of success in, well, I guess almost eight, nine years now at this point. Um, but I, I do think that we've, we've talked on this pod and at Beaver Blitz in, in the past about kind of the level-headed approach that Jonathan Smith and his staff brings. And I think that bodes well for, um, for the ability to keep, to keep people focused. You know, Smith isn't a guy who's going to going to get super high when they're winning or super low when they're losing. He's going to, um, he does kind of resemble that blue collar attitude, you know, just week in and week out, we're going to come to work and we're going to get better. Um, and the, the players are totally bought into that. You know, it was the, the, we're not done yet kind of mantra. We ain't uh, done at, yet. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, at, at USC and in the locker room again, against Washington, you know, that's the first thing Smith says to the team afterwards. And I think they're totally bought in, you know, that's, that's what they echo to us. Uh, when, when we ask them, you know, like, how, how excited are you about that win? They said, well, we're not done yet. We're coming back to work tomorrow. Um, that's, that's where this team's at right now. Have you seen the team this, um, together in, in your time with covering them? No. And, and Andre Hughes Murray, we actually talked to him a couple of days ago, he said this is the closest team he's ever been on at Oregon. He's State. been here like for 20 years. <laughs> yeah. So that's saying a lot. He's been yeah. on this is a sixth Six. team now. Yeah. yeah. Um almost, I mean, he was almost here when when Mike Riley was here. Yeah. So yeah. This is, I mean, he's he's been on a few teams. And yeah. for him to say that this is the closest team he's been a part of, uh, you can you can buy into that. You you can trust on Jay on that one. And I think it's pretty clear. I, I think the chemistry on this team is it's noticeable. It is. And so I, looking at the offense, we'll, we're going to keep on the, on the offensive theme. Um, I, again, huge game by the offensive line, but um, I'm giving my game ball. I don't give game balls very often, but I just have to say, I am was super impressed with reserve wide receiver, Anthony Gould, who, um, you know, came in off the bench cold and had the fly sweep and then caught that huge first down on that final drive. Um, how difficult is it to keep some, I mean, especially in some of these positions that are so deep, how do you keep these guys engaged and then ready to come in and make a big play when it's their turn? That's a real challenge. And for Gould, I don't think he had gotten a target since that win over Hawaii when, uh, when that, yeah, that was the Hawaii game when he broke out and had, what was it? Seven catches, a hundred and some yards. Um, he, he, he kind of burst onto the scene in that game and then he was quiet against Idaho and USC, but then, Late in the game against Washington, you know, the offense needs a couple big plays. Who do they turn to? Somebody who hasn't really seen the field in two weeks for him to execute in that big of a spot. That's big time. And that's, I, I go back to the confidence element. I think that's going to be huge for him, you know, yeah. to know that you can come in and execute when you haven't played in a while uh, and, and make a couple of the biggest plays in the game. He absolutely deserves the game ball. So credit to you for, for that pick. That's a, that's a, a, a good thing that we definitely shouldn't brush over because he was a major element in, in Oregon State's win. And how big is that? You know, you, we, we've talked about now for months about Oregon State's depth, especially at wide receiver. But how big is that when facing these teams that you actually, we, Oregon State has enough depth that they can leave really good players on the bench. So other, and, and it makes makes it so hard to plan and, and scheme against when you're coming, because you don't know if you're going to, if it's going to be Anthony Gould or if it's going to be Tyjon Lindsay or, I mean, there's so many guys that could have a breakout. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the, the, it, it could go one of so many ways and um, Oregon state's ability to spread the ball around has been something that we've seen over the first month, you know, five games of the year. 
Uh, and I was looking at the stat sheet before we, before we started recording. Zariah Beeson was Oregon State's leading receiver. You know how many catches he had? Two. I mean, that's a, it's a testament not only to, I mean, sure, or, Oregon State struggled in the passing game. Chance Nolan had probably his worst game as a Beaver to this point, 7 of 15, 48 yards and a pick. Like three uh, big the, drops, though. Three yeah. big drops. But, but the fact that Oregon State's leading receiver had two, two catches, I think, is also a, a testament to the fact that they are able to spread it around so much. Um, the, the two tight ends made a catch. Deshaun Fenwick, as a running back, made a catch. You know, they're looking to get players the ball through the air at different positions. Uh, and that's when we see Oregon State's offense at its best is when it's sharing the ball uh, and, and not just leaning on one or two guys. So it is it is really a boost for this offense to have that depth, not only at wide receiver, like, like you mentioned, but, but also at some of the other positions, tight end and running back. Yeah, definitely. And, and we, I think we saw more out of Deshaun Fenwick than we've seen um, throughout early season too. So he looked like he could, he settled in pretty well against uh, the Huskies. Let's move over to the defensive side of the ball, because if there is a, a position group that I've been probably the most critical of over the past four years with under coach Smith, it has been the defense. The Wildcat, that that Oregon State's got to figure that out because McGrew ran crazy. But that fourth down stop might have been, it, I, in my opinion, that ranks right up there with the goal line stand in 2007 at Cal. I, I totally agree. Uh, Avery Roberts was huge on that play. He had 16 tackles to lead the team. Uh, he tied with Eula Foscio from Washington for the game high, 16 tackles. When was the last time we saw two players on, on both teams uh, finish with 16 tackles? I mean, just a, a great performance from both of those linebackers. But no, the defense took another big step forward this week uh, for the offense to struggle in the way it did, especially through the air and the Oregon State to still come out victorious. A lot of that does stem from one of the better games that the defense has had uh, in, in a very long time. Yeah. So hats off to that staff. I, like I said, I've been very critical of Tim Tivisar in his scheme, but, um, he does, he has these guys playing with some swagger and I don't think I've seen these guys play with that much confidence in a long time. So, um, you know, yeah, Avery, Andre, there's, there's a lot of guys now veterans that are, are leading the way, but, um, and, and I will be fair. I don't, I, I didn't have a lot of respect heading into the game for, or, or for Washington's offense, but I don't, I did not give their defense credit. Their defense is maybe one of the best defenses we will face all year. Definitely better than USC's. And that's part of the reason, too, why going into the game, I, I predicted one of, a, one of the more lower scoring uh, results that I had picked of the year is I think Washington's defense still is probably a top three unit in this conference, uh, regardless of you know, what, what Dylan Morris is doing on the other side of the ball. Uh, I think Washington is going to find a lot of success this year just because I think the defense is going to keep them in a lot of games. Uh, but Oregon State's defense through the first four weeks leading into this game, we had seen so much improvement from them that I said, this game's got a, a real chance to be an absolute battle in the trenches. Uh, I thought the defenses were going to be what determined the outcome of this game. And at the end of the day, that's that's exactly how it played out. Both defenses really showed out and had, I think, easily for, for Washington, probably their best performance of the year, um, save for maybe the Arkansas State game. But I don't really know if you can can put too that. much stock into that. Yeah. Uh, but, but Oregon state's defense too, you have to give them credit for uh, forcing an interception, 
the fumble recovery to set up the offense inside the red zone. Just a couple of really, really big plays from that group. Um, another player I was very, very critical critical of last year was, and I've, I've mentioned this a couple times this year, but every time it, he makes a big play, a big hit, I, I kind of stop myself because last year Alton Julian did not seem to want to have contact. I mean, he shied away from big hits and this year it's like a complete opposite. So great job, Blue Adams. Great job, Alton Julian. Um, I, I'm really impressed with what we're seeing. And like I said, I, I, I would say Tim Tibisar's hot seat has cooled substantially with Beaver Nation. Absolutely. And a lot of that too stems from, I think the stronger play that we've seen up front, you know, that front seven was a big question mark. Losing Isaac Hodgins at, at defensive end, we said, wow, how is the, the defensive line going to respond to losing its, its most consistent player, its most experienced player? And to the D-line's credit, it really has not been much of an issue this year. And the fact that that group was able to show so much progress without its best player makes his return, which could be within the next couple of weeks now, uh, really exciting, I think, to, to see where this front seven could go from here. Yeah, Keontae Shad had a, had a good game. Um, yeah, but it, it is definitely a defensive line by committee. Um, we're seeing, you know, different different makeups go in there. But I saw quite I saw James Rawls in there, um, Simon Sandberg. So Cody Anderson had a big Cody game Anderson too. had a big game. Yeah, saw him downfield at one point. So talk about hustle from the big guy, um, Rajon Wright. Another big game from him. I, I think he's really kind of settling in and finding his stride. Um, do you have any game balls for the for the defense? Well, I, I think the obvious one is Roberts, 16 tackles, half a sack and an interception. Just another another really good all-around performance from him, making plays in the backfield, downfield, um, getting involved on pretty much every play. He was the standout on the defensive side of the ball. But you mentioned it, Rajon Wright. I mean, he just continues to break out. And uh, he had Earlier in the season, I think struggled maybe with some open field tackling, and that was maybe a, a knock that we had against his game. Credit to him, six tackles against Washington. He got into the backfield as well and, and sacked Dylan Morris. And one of the more impressive plays that I've seen from him this year, just an ability to get around the edge unblocked and, and bring down the quarterback. And then he also recovered the fumble uh, that, that Jane Grant forced earlier in the game to set Oregon State up for its first touchdown. So he made, he made a couple of plays that directly translated to points, and that's all you could ask for from a, a defensive back. And, and heads up play on that fumble recovery because you, you knew he was trying to scoop and score that. He was, I mean, it, that was in his head, and then the ball kind of got away from him, and instead of still trying to rely on that, he did just fall on it, which was the smart, smart play. Let's talk about that last minute and a half. So... We're watching the watching it unfold. Anthony Gould just has that big catch, gets the beeves down inside the 20. Um, and then it appeared that uh, Jimmy Lake was basically telling his defense to let us let Oregon State score. When before the game started, I know I talked with Eric and I think I was talking with you about that this was going to be a chess match between Jimmy Lake and Jonathan Smith. And at the at the, and I told Eric, I said, at the end of the day, I trust Jonathan Smith in a chess game. And it totally turned into a chess game because you see Jimmy Lake. I mean, there was the second to third to the last play before they started kneeling down. Like the Washington defenders kind of go over and they start to, I'm actually on zoom right now showing Carter. I, you guys can't see this on the, 
she, she's bringing out the hand <laughs> I'm, gestures. I'm bringing right up the now. hand gestures, and I'm like acting like I'm blocking somebody. But they actually pulled their hands back. I'm like, we're gonna let him run. Um, and then Jonathan Smith starts. You know, they call the kneels. What was going through your head? On, the, I mean, do you were you wanting them to score the touchdown and let the defense? I mean, it worked out, and we're not. We don't need a second guess. And that was probably the right way to play it. But what was your thought process during that last minute thirty? So yeah. You know, it's, it really is interesting. The last couple of minutes of this game were, it was, it, it was a, a complete coaching chess match. I, I think you hit it right on the head there. I think that's a, a good analogy. Um, when Oregon State was starting to move the ball on that drive, I'm a proponent of just scoring, you know, just, just play for the touchdown. Um, it makes it so much more difficult for the other team to go down and tie the game. Even if they've got timeouts, even if, you know, they have a good two minute offense at the end of the day, you still got to move the ball all the way to the end zone. You can't settle for three points. You know, you have to be able to move the ball. Uh, and so I was, I was a proponent of Oregon state taking what Washington's defense was giving it going down and scoring a touchdown. Uh, but credit to Jonathan Smith for thinking two steps ahead. He said, you know, if, if they want to let us score, we're going to play the long game here and we're, we're going to, we're going to drain their timeouts. You know, that so was they, right there. That was genius. Yeah, exactly. So even if even if Oregon State does find the end zone, um, Washington's got no timeouts, and that makes it even more difficult for them. So to be able to to run the ball as effectively as they did down the stretch, Deshaun Fenwick had a couple of huge runs uh, to keep moving the chains, keep the clock running. I thought that was one of the more clutch performances we have seen from the run game in a long time. Was the ability to kind of drain the clock there at the end, but. Coach Smith after the game said, yeah, you know, we want, we wanted to make them use their timeouts. We wanted to kneel it down and set up the field goal because we felt uh, with our confidence in Everett Hayes that that was the best way to win the game. And you have to give them credit. You know, the, the, the offensive line executed, opening up lanes for the running backs. Running backs executed, getting first downs. Chance Nolan set up the field goal with a kneel down in the middle of the field. And then Everett Hayes comes on and makes the biggest kick of his career. It was flawless execution down the stretch and and really really smart game planning by by jonathan smith uh, and, to and manage amazing. the clock as yeah the did. clock management was huge which beaver fans will i i don't know how many times beaver fans wanted to tear their hair out with coach riley's clock management it was sometimes horrible but no it was i mean i, I i'm with you i was thinking you score the touchdown make them go all the length of the field but making them burn their timeouts and run the clock down then. I mean, when they went out to kick the field, the field goal, it was three seconds left on the clock. Mm-hmm. And worst thing happens, he misses and you go into overtime for, for them. So anyway, it was just an interesting chess, chess match, watching him and Jimmy Lake go, um, like I said, Jimmy Lake basically saying, let them score. Oregon State basically saying, no, we're not going to score. And we're going, I mean, fun to watch. You don't get to see it's, that all the time. Yeah, it's rare that you see a team essentially effectively try not to score yeah uh, and, and that's and what a team and a did defense. for a minute and a half yeah yeah I mean it was like I said that right there and and when you saw the Washington defenders basically like kind of Olay kind of throw their hands you're like oh they really want Oregon State to score um but it like was, you said coach Smith was two steps ahead um and I, I think if you're a Beaver fan you have to appreciate that coach Smith in a chess game He's who you want on, on, well, your, on your corner. And, and I think, too, 
we can we can throw out the cliche jonathan smith was playing chess jimmy lake was playing checkers yes true i mean jonathan smith is he and and you like you're talking about even keel so you were at usc post game and you were at at washington now you know this is jonathan smith's old team he has lots of friends there tons of respect for him not that he doesn't usc but did he seem I, I know he's pleased with both wins, but did he seem any more excited beating Washington? I know he said, oh, no, no, but did you did you sense that maybe this one meant just a tad bit more than USC? It it did, and it was pretty clear. He actually came out of his shell a little bit in, in the post-game press conference. Um, he was asked, you know, does it mean anything to you to beat this team that that you coached for for four years? And he said, he started off with, oh, you know, like not really, but then he said, Yes. Like, yes, it, it does mean something. Like I look across the field and I see um, you know, coaches and support staff and, and players that, that I'm familiar with that I coached with and it does mean something to beat them. And that's a fire from Jonathan Smith that I, I think the team sees in the locker room and behind closed doors, but the public hasn't really gotten to see it yet. And certainly the media, you know, it's, it's rare that he opens up to us like that. Uh, and so he for him to do that, up. he's always yeah. buttoned up very calculated. And, and so for him to do that and, and show his true emotion after a big win like that was pretty cool. Yeah. I, I USC had to mean a lot though, but, but just even watching, I love watching the locker room footage that they put out on social media and seeing him in the middle of the team. Just, he had that little, uh, mischievous smile like a little a little bigger smile than maybe against usc but both wins we can't take anything away because both wins are huge for this program right now um and where they want to go um so let's talk a little pac-12 though because it's, it's getting to be a little intriguing let's talk pac-12 north so now oregon state has the one of three in the north the mythical pack uh, northwest championship so um, they've got uh, Washington down, Washington State this week. We'll talk about the Cougs here in a little bit, but let's just talk about the Pac-12 North. So the other big news of the day made it a really, really good day if you're a Beaver fan is Oregon lost in the final seconds in overtime to uh, uh, Stanford. Stanford. Big game, big loss. Um, it reminded me of an old YouTube video of a drunk Beaver fan in 2012 that was like yelling no natty fans, no natty no natty for you no natty for you it, it made me giggle so i had but uh that was a big game and stanford showed a ton um stanford kind of reminds oregon state reminds me of stanford in a lot of ways just their grittiness um okay so you have stanford oregon state cal looked abysmal in their loss to washington state and so washington state beat cal so there's your pac-12 north Oregon State plays Washington State this weekend. How big is that game just from a Pac-12 North standpoint? Huge, because if Oregon State wins that, they go into their bye week on a five-game winning streak, still undefeated in Pac-12 play. Could you imagine? I think a win at Washington State would put Oregon State probably in that 24 to 25 range in the, in the AP poll. I know right now Oregon State is on that like 27, 28 fringe when you – calculate how many votes Getting they votes. got yeah um so i think a win on the palouse would would put oregon state into that top 25 going into their bye week and i think um that sets you up for a second half of the season with the biggest expectations and and hope 
from the fan base that you've seen since probably 2012. So a win up there would be massive. And for Washington State, they get a big win at Cal this week. And, you know, they're going to have a little bit of momentum going into that game too. Maybe some renewed confidence after a shaky start to the year. Um, I, I do expect Oregon State to go up to Martin Stadium, and, or is it guess a field now, I guess. Yeah. Um, they Absolutely. renamed their stadium. <laughs> uh, Money talks. But, Money yeah. talks. So I, I do expect Oregon State to go up there and come away with a win. And if, if Oregon State can do that, man, I mean, I, I think the, the atmosphere around Oregon State and the, the perception of the Beavers on, on the conference and national stage, uh, is, it's just going to be, it, it would be really fun to see what that looks like going into the bye week. What let let me hear your power rankings. I, I know you weren't really prepared for this, but give me your Pac-12 North power rankings right now. I think I still, even though Oregon is coming off that loss against Stanford, I think just from a pure talent perspective, I've still got to put Oregon at number one in the North, but uh, Oregon state has proved that it's, it's the clear number two right now. It's a race between the Oregon teams for the PAC 12 North title at this point, Washington has fallen off substantially. I, I don't think Stanford's necessarily for real. Obviously that's a big win against Oregon. They beat USC. Okay, but, uh, but, there, do, but there's still something Oregon, missing. Do you think Ohio State's for real then? If we're if we're gonna talk that, do you think Ohio State's for real? Oregon's win over them? No. Yeah. No, see? no I, I don't think so either. So okay. Um, so okay, Oregon, Oregon State, they're mm-hmm. they're by far top two. I totally agree. Yep. So where do you put do you put Washington or, or Stanford at, at three? That's a tough one. I think just based on the teams that Stanford has beaten, I'll give them the nod there and, and, and put the Cardinal at three. Because uh, like I said, you know, beating Oregon and USC, that's that's not easy. Yeah. Uh, so even though I do think uh, David Shaw's crew has a lot to prove still, um, those are big wins and you can't discount that. So I'll go Oregon one, Oregon State two, Stanford three, Washington four. Uh, and now that Washington State just beat Cal, I guess I have, I have to go Washington State five and Cal six. Okay, there you go. So moving to the Pac-12 South, biggest game was kind of after our game it started at 7 30 last night the ucla asu game in the rose bowl and it was close at half and then arizona state pulled away i think it was like 42 to 23 42 24 something like that so um i don't think ucla scored the whole second half um what are your thoughts about that pac-12 south i think colorado showed that they're just as bad as we thought um but what are what are your thoughts now that asu beat ucla well, that was a game that I didn't actually get to see any of because uh, I was at Reeser, you know, with with our You're game. Working. But exactly. Um, but I think it's the, the South is interesting in that when we came into the season, I said, all right, it's USC and then, then ASU, UCLA and everything else is, you know, off the table. I think it's those three teams that are that are fighting for it. Now that USC looks like it's no longer in contention. This ASU-UCLA game, even though it's week five of the season, I think that was a de facto um, Pac-12 South semifinal game. You know, I think the winner of that game is going to be in a a really good position to win that division. And so credit to ASU for going into the Rose Bowl and and coming away with a big win by by 19 points. You know, they did it in dominant fashion. I, I think the Sun Devils are trending in the right direction. I do think that UCLA is still a very good team. And uh, if, if ASU loses a game, the Bruins are going to be right there to, to battle 
battle for the South championship down the, down the stretch. But um, no, I mean, that's, that's a huge win for, for the Sun Devils. I think it, it positions them really well uh, to fight for the conference championship. And how, I, I know this is looking way ahead, but how fun will that game be last senior night potentially could be huge um, down there the end of or mid-November in Corvallis. Hopefully a cold and rainy, miserable night is what I'm hoping for. And if you'll remember, 2019 was, was senior night too, Oregon State, ASU. Uh, the Beavers pulled that one out. I believe it was 35-34 was yeah, the final. Yeah, it was a close one. Herm Edwards went for two. Uh, they, they didn't get the conversion. And the, the students stormed the field as Oregon State snaps. I can't remember how long the streak was, but I think it was a, a Pac-12 home losing streak that came to an end in that game. Yeah, yeah. There's lots of firsts we're seeing here in the past few years. So if you were doing a power ranking for the South, but let me see. You got ASU, UCLA, USC. Those would be the top three in that order. And yeah. Then and Utah. Then Utah. And then Colorado, Arizona, Colorado. Arizona. Yeah. Um, and Oregon State misses Arizona this year, but um, hit the road to Colorado later in the season. Um, let's jump ahead. Um, let's start talking a little bit Washington State. We won't get too far into it, but um, Washington State, the Cougars. What, how do you, like I said, this is early, you know, this is Sunday day after Washington, but how do you, see this game playing out well it's it's an interesting it's a different matchup than it has been in the last few years now with Rolovich taking over you know Washington State's offense is nowhere near the level it was under Mike Leach um, the defense credit credit to the the Cougar defense holding Cal to, to six points could it be on the lower scoring side potentially I, I think Oregon State's defense is is really going to come up big in this game I don't think Washington State has as many tools as they have in, in recent years. Uh, Jane Delora looks perfectly healthy now at, at quarterback. So you throw Does that him worry in next... you that he's healthy and mobile quarterback? Well, yeah, I mean, it has to, right? Because, I mean, he torched Oregon State in his first career game last year. So just based on history alone, I think it has to be a, a point of concern. But put him and Max Borgie in, in the backfield together and, you know, that's a, a solid one-two punch. Okay, speaking that, of someone who's been playing college football for like 20 years, Matt's Max Borgie. Seriously. <laughs> has that guy been yeah. up in Pullman for like years? I, I don't know what his eligibility <laughs> is right now. Maybe redshirt junior, redshirt senior, but oh yeah, you're gosh. right. Gosh, it seems like he's been there forever. Um, but no, as I was saying, you know, you, you put those two guys together and that's a, a potent one-two punch, but I just don't know if they have enough weapons outside of those two uh, to really put much fear in, into Oregon state. So I think the Beavers go up there and win comfortably. Um, okay. I, I don't, I don't have a score prediction yet, but I do think the Beavers will win by multiple scores. What, what do you want to see from the Beaver offense this week heading into the bye week mid season a bounce back? I mean, a, a bounce back in the passing game for sure. Um, going up against Washington, you know, we, we touched on it, just how good of a defense that is. And I think that probably played a part in, in chance Nolan's performance, but He's got to regain some confidence in practice this week, you know, re rekindle those connections with the receivers, settle down in the pocket a bit. And he's, he's going to be just fine. You know, I think he's, I think he's more like the quarterback we saw in the, the previous three games than, than this one. So I think he'll bounce back, but that is a key moving forward. You know, that we, we need to watch is can Nolan return to where he was before this game. Do you, do you want to see more passing attack or do you want to see the Beavs pound it on the ground? 
they got to keep running it as long as it's working. I mean, the offensive line's clicking right now. It's really living up to the expectations we had for it. And credit to BJ Baylor, who I, I don't know if I don't, I don't have the, the leaderboard pulled up, but I think his two touchdowns against Washington might have pushed him back into the national lead in touchdowns. I think that gives him nine on the year through five games. So um, as long as it's working, stick with it. They've <laughs> over the last two games, they've run the ball 50 times in each of the last two games. Uh, and I, I think you have to stick with it. So, okay. Just off the cuff here is BJ Baylor. So when we entered the season, we were going to, it was going to be a by committee, which we're seeing, we're seeing Deshaun Fenwick, but I don't think either of us thought BJ Baylor potentially by the end of this season, maybe in the conversation as, as one of the great Oregon state backs. Do you think he uh, finishes the year in, in the same conversation or do you want to see it for another couple years of him? This, it's tough. I think the sample size is still too small. Oh. Um, I think, I, I don't think that this is just a hot streak. Like I, I think BJ is just this good, but we're still in the, we're still in the sample size territory that makes it possible that it's just a hot streak. I need to see it spread out over an entire season. A full season of this is enough for me to say, yeah, BJ is potentially one of one of the the better running backs Oregon State's ever had if if he can do it over twelve games. I mean, you think um, about it, especially. Go ahead. Oh no, I was just the. I mean, think about. There's been some good ones, Carter. I, I mean, I'm just thinking back the past twenty years with James or uh, Ken Simonton, Stephen Jackson, Evanson Bernard, um, Jaquiz. Yeah, I mean, Jamar, there's been a lot. Yeah, I, I, I just think that, you know, as this is his first year as a starter, um, you have to prove it over more than five games for me to totally buy into you being one of the, the all-time greats. But as I was going to say, he's been here for a few years and he's been this productive off the bench. Um, and so, you know, his you look at his yards per carry on his career, you look at the touchdowns he's scored with with limited carries, and I think – he was, I think he's proving that he's as productive as he's always been, but now that he's getting more of an opportunity, um, you're starting to see those numbers kind of pile up a little bit. So I think talent-wise, it's, it's always been there. It was just a matter of him getting more carries. And now that he is the featured back, you're starting to see who B.J. Baylor really is. Uh, and so I, that's kind of why I'm in the, the position of if he can continue this for a full season, I, I would be comfortable saying he's a, a top 10 all-time running back at Oregon State. Yeah, I, I, I am right there with you because like a lot of those top guys we just talked about, did their, their careers were long. So it's a little more longevity-wise. What do you want to see from the defense this week? Um, they've definitely shown improvement, but what do you want to see this week against the Cougars? Just keep it rolling, you know, just keep playing the way that they have been because there's there's always a room for improvement last week it was the penalties this week it was the i mean i don't know what what was the weakness from this game i guess maybe the wildcat the wildcat yeah that mcgrew kind of ran i like on that fourth down play i'm really surprised they didn't throw mcgrew in yeah yeah so to the point is you know there's always room for improvement but overall this defense really is just so much improved from from this point last year and so i i don't think that there's much that they need to clean up overall I think they just got to keep playing that the way they have been uh, and trust that the offense is going to go out and score points because, um, you know, it, it was the defense that won the game against Washington. And that's probably the first time we could say that in quite a few years. So 
if, if they can go out and, and play like they did in a game that they objectively won, um, let's look out because I, I think Oregon State's offense is talented enough to beat just about anyone. So if, if both sides are clicking, uh, Oregon State could no, I, I'm not even going to go there. I was, yeah. I was going to say run. I'm not, I was going to say run the table, but no, I do think that if, if they keep playing the way they, they have been, they can realistically be everybody on their schedule. Agree. I, I mean, that's looking at that. Yeah. Realistically, they can compete and be in every game the rest of the season. Carter, I think that's a great stopping point because you know, it's so much more fun to talk after a win. Seriously. It's been too many years too. We've, we've gone through a lot. So um, it's fun to celebrate I, every once in a while the wins. I, I was going to say, I feel like after wins, I find myself just rambling quite a bit on the podcast. Um, and that was kind of, <laughs> that was where I was at yesterday is sitting in the media room. I was like, how do I even like put this into words? Like, how do I type out what just happened? Cause I feel like there's just so much to talk about and there's the adrenaline from a game like that. Um, there's just so much to unpack. So if, if I was rambly today, it's just because I'm, I'm still trying to comprehend everything that happened, trying to comprehend Oregon State leading the Pac-12. Um, but I, I think that's a, it's an indicator of the excitement that, that fans should have about where this team is at right now. Yeah, and it's been, you know, it is easier to talk negative. You know, it's, it's easier to point out the, the flaws than it is sometimes to just, hey, you know what, they won. And, you know, it wasn't pretty. It, it wasn't always the, the prettiest win over Washington, but that's a good team. And, and for them to gut it out was, was big. Well, Carter and I will be back next Sunday um, because the bees will be up in the Palouse taking on the Cougars. And then we actually have bye week and a bye week that actually falls in the middle of the season. I know Carter has some fun things he's working on for the bye week. We'll have midterm grades and all the other kind of fun things at Beaver Blitz, but we'll be back next week with another episode of the Dan podcast.